We've won 17 national championships in 21 years. We went 13 years without losing a match. Wow. What's the vibe when that winning streak is when you're in the thick of it? Fear. Absolute ratcheting fear. Because <laughs> you don't want it to end. You know, it's funny. It's We learn so much in that. But as we know, losing is the playground for success. And if you're just winning and winning, you it's hard to run forwards looking over your shoulder. The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. feeling when you're in the thick of a winning streak? The pressure is on, the momentum is real, the emotions run high. And as the leader in that situation, it's a complex pressure cooker to keep it all together while making sure complacency doesn't get in the way of your team's success. Coach Paul Asante is joining us on today's episode of the Rebel Leadership Podcast. He's the men's squash and tennis coach at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. No name school, you might say to yourself? Think again. They are 17-time national champions. And during the thick of their winning streak, they won 252 consecutive matches. Yep, that makes Coach Paul the winningest coach in college sports history. Coach shares stories on this episode about the infamous Coach K throwing a chair across a practice or Bill Belichick dodging the media, all the way through the intricate moments of coaching college kids mid-championship match. The parallels to leadership are endless. I hope you enjoy this episode and embrace your next aha moment. I didn't realize how much of a burden it was for the players because I never did this. I didn't come into this business to win championships. I just wanted to teach life lessons through the vehicle of sport. And it didn't really matter what sport it was to me. You know, it's funny. We had a Zoom call the other day with all the college coaches and they went around the room and they said, what do you miss the most? And everybody was saying, oh, I really miss squash. I really miss squash. And when they got to me, I said, I don't miss squash. I just miss the players. And so I never realized the effect that it was having on the young men. I had a boy on my team from Bloomington, South Africa, and we were driving down Broad Street one day and he looked at me with these, you know, doe eyes. And he said, coach, what's going to happen when we lose? It never occurred to me how that was weighing on his shoulders. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, when we lose, rivers are going to run red and frogs are going to fall out of the sky and life <laughs> change as we know it. But of course, that's not the case. So it was a heavy weight for the boys. Why do you think there's so much fear there? Like, what, what is it that is so scary about losing? When you lose, the train stops and you look in the mirror and you have to confront what was it that I did wrong? What did I not prepare well? Was my opponent simply better than me? You know, these are, these are difficult conversations to have, but essential to a healthy life. But when you're winning, you know, winning cures all ills. And um, what does it feel like to be the coach in that moment? So like, that's what it feels like to be that, that player looking mm-hmm. in the mirror at the end of the day and like you're crushed after a loss mm-hmm. and you can't fathom it. But what does it feel like to be the coach? Is there Great any question for me? 
it never felt like anything. But when you're in these tournaments that are advancing to the finals, it's your wish as a coach for the young men to experience success. You want them to taste that. You want them to feel that. The nice thing for me is I know that win or lose, I'm going to get to coach. I'm going to get to give lessons and and try to help them frame what it all means. But it's um, it never resonated for me. I think early in my career, so I speak to companies now with some regularity. And one of the things that I'm always telling people is it is what you do. It is not who you are. But we tend to attach ourselves to how much money we made, what kind of a car I can drive, those kinds of things. And early on in my career, I think I wanted, you know, I left West Point because I thought I would never win a national championship there. And to be a great coach, you need to have that banner hanging in the ceiling. Well, we have 17 of them and they don't mean anything. They meant something to the boys and they're little highlights of a shared journey for different people, but it doesn't, it didn't mean that much to me once I it's had not something driving you. No, it can't. You cannot be successful if your daily motivation is the scoreboard. You have right, to you get down. You have to enjoy the sport. You have to enjoy your position and push your position and see what you're capable of. There's no question. And I want to, you know, one of the keys to being a good leader is helping prepare people for what to expect. And we go on to any field hoping that it's going to be easy, but it's not going to be easy. And so our job is to help them understand it's going to get really tight. It's going to get really hairy. You're going to find yourself down at times. And when that happens, I want you to look up at the ceiling and say, I love this stuff. That's what it's about. And the winning and the losing and the parade and the banners and the rings, that's other people counting. So pretend like we're, we're mid-game and I'm mm-hmm. one of your players. What's your speech? What's your motivation mid-game when they're down and they're feeling like they're about to be defeated and you've got to build up that mm-hmm. championship mentality to power through the rest of the game? What are the things that you say? Well, that's another great question. So when I wrote my book, um, I called Billie Jean King, who's a friend of mine, I'm, because I coached world team tennis for nine years. And uh, I said, Billie Jean, tell me the two things I need to know to be successful as a coach. And, you know, she is just a rock star. And she said, number one, never let anybody be late to anything. Because if they're late, they're telling you they don't care about you, which is powerful. And the second thing she said is body language will tell you everything you need to know. That's also applicable in the business world. It's applicable in our in our lives. Get to know people well. Get to know what their eyes look like when they're inspired do they make eye contact with you? Are they struggling? And then what I look for in match play is the body language. You're not going to be able to make any major adjustments in a match regarding tactics and strategy and all of that, but you can watch for the body language. And, and I'll share a story with you. Um, we were playing at the national championships at Princeton, and um, I had a young man on our team from Mamo, Sweden, Gustav. And he was playing a young man from Princeton from uh, Kuala Lumpur, Kim Lee. 
And up until that championship, Gustav owned Kim Lee. He beat him badly every time they played. And here we are in the national finals, and Gustav is down to love, and he's getting thumped. Mm. And I could tell from his body language resignation. Mm. And he had, he had uh, already assumed defeat before. He was done. He, he had hit Heartbreak Hill. He, he, was, he was prepared to walk home. Mm. And I went out to him and I said, Gustav, look me in the eye. And he wouldn't. I said, Gustav, look me in the eye. So I grabbed his chin and I just picked up his head a little bit. And I said, you can't give in. Your teammates are still out there fighting. You can't give in. So by now, my voice was fairly elevated, and he ran onto the court to get away from me. And I sat down on the floor outside the glass so that every time he looked outside the court, I was there pointing at him saying, don't give up, don't give up. Well, he's down two love, five love, first one to nine. This is going to lose the national championship. They have a long, arduous point, and they brush past each other, and the young man from Princeton stumbled a little bit. And Gustav stood straight up and he looked me in the eyes and he smiled because he knew at that moment the match had turned. He had found a way to stay in it long enough till his opponent got tired and he ran off the rest of the match. But What's if he so was fascinating about that, there's there are moments, there are pivot points. Oh, yeah. And, and you can feel it. And it's mm -hmm. magical when that happens. But you yeah. have to be out of your phone and out of your computer to watch it, to observe yeah. it, to yeah. to feel it and to move with it mm -hmm. and then inspire people through that. Keep but, powering through. But you have to be observant. Probably the single greatest quality a leader can have is empathy. You have to be able to put yourself on the other side of the desk. Otherwise, you can't help people. If you can't understand where they're coming from, if I couldn't see that Gustav was broken, I would not have been able to give him whatever it was he was needing. And again, as a leader, you have to have a different language for every person you interact with. Oh, 100%. And, that, and that, in that moment, it wasn't about technical skill. It was about his mental state and his commitment of, yep. to be in it for the team and not, not succumb to defeat because we all feel that every day. I mean, I think about personally like mom guilt for example. It's mm -hmm. like we all have these feelings that kind of overwhelm us and it's only within us, but it's the it's the core people that we trust around us to say, you've got this. Don't succumb to that. Don't believe those things that are in your head on a day that's filled with anxiety and stress. Right. Power through it because people are, are relying on you to do Helping that. Helping on you. And the other thing in a recognition point in that regard is we're not the same person every day. You know, your child has a fever, but you've got to go to work. Uh, I have the flu. You know, maybe I'm 70% of my best self today. Then the key is not to give into that, but dig deep and find a way to get 100% of that 70, because that's as good as it's going to get. And that's all you can do. Most of the, the battles in life, I've never fought. We get out in front of ourselves and we worry so much about what's coming instead of simply staying in the moment and dealing with what's at hand. And, you know, there's a great saying that if you live in the past, you're going to be depressed. If you live in the future, you're going to be anxious. And if you live in the moment, you can find peace. And that's a funny balance because we're always planning and scheduling and you want to do that based on what history is telling you, but you've got to be in the moment. How do you coach your teams to do that and leave it all on the field? 
It's a very simple answer, really. Practice is everything. In every day of our lives, practice and preparation is everything. I believe in the Japanese philosophy, which is that you cry in practice and you laugh in competition. On game day, my job is to take the pressure off. And in practice, my job is to make it harder than it's going to be on Saturday. And you've got to find a way to motivate people to do that. I remember when I was coaching at West Point, my neighbor was Mike Shizewski, who was the basketball coach at Duke. Um, I said, hey, Mike, I'm giving the team the day off today. Can I uh, come watch practice? And he said, sure. And so I go down to Arvin Gym, and five minutes into practice, he's a raging lunatic, throwing things, tearing his jacket off, <laughs> F-bombs flying around the gym, and he throws everybody out. And then that night, I knock on his door, and I say, is it safe to come in? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I, I got to ask you, what... Um, what set you off today? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you were nuts. And he said, oh, no, no, no. I had scheduled this a couple of weeks ago. I knew I needed to get their attention. A good leader knows how to motivate. Now, you can't go to that well very often. He may have spotted complacency week after yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me make sure they're locked in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the coach has to make themselves the problem. And because then that takes the problem off of the shoulders of the student athletes. Mm -hmm. So it's to me, it's all about practice. And so and isn't that where your your expectations lie? You have high expectations, and they need to know where they stand at any given time to say, "Hey, hey, hey, this isn't good enough." Yeah, my bar oh. is here, right? Yeah, there's no question that's true. But you see, we don't, particularly with millennials. We don't see the value of practice. They don't see the value of practice. It's not hard to get somebody excited to play Harvard because their ego is on the line there, their identity, which it shouldn't be, but it is. It's hard to get a group of 19-year-olds excited about a Wednesday afternoon when nobody's watching. But that's what's going to determine their success down the road. And I say to the guys all the time, don't ask me on match day what you need to be doing differently. The answer is on November 15th, you should have worked harder. And every practice is a brick in the house that you're building. And they all have to be excellent. How does it feel after, right after a huge win as the coach in that moment? Is there any taming of the emotions that happen to just make sure people aren't riding on that ego or, you know, how, do, how does that feel? And then how do you sustain it to the next one? Well, it's interesting. So if it's the championship, my first thing that I do is I quickly pull them together. I, you know, guys, great, great. Now go congratulate your opponent. Do it with class. Act like you've been there before. And then you can feel good about yourself. If it's during the season, I quickly pull them together and say, it's just another brick. The house is not built yet. Nice job. Frustrated with that? No, because they they come to understand that that is what it takes to build a championship. How did they feel about that when it was year one and you were building this championship team? It was impossible. Year one, you know, no school in the history of squash other than Ivy League schools had ever been in a national championship final. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And we were in the final three times before we won one. And so when we won... We were heroic figures in the world of squash. David and Goliath. How wonderful is that? Now, everybody was rooting for Ohio State unless you're from Alabama. But <laughs> the second year we won, 
I was a villain and we were cheaters. How could Trinity be beating everybody? And I'll never forget calling my friend who was the coach at Williams. I said, what happened? Nothing has changed, but now I'm a bad guy. And he smiled and he said, I thought you were smarter than that. And he said, this is what comes with the territory. It's just, it's part of the journey. And why is that? Like we, it, it, we kind of live in this society where people embrace the underdog. And then the second they are there, they only want them to lose. And they get satisfaction when that, when that champion falters. Mm-hmm. It's in every plot, in every Netflix series. It's in every Oh, plot. yeah. It's human nature. You're no longer the underdog. Therefore, I'm going to find a new underdog to celebrate. When what you do becomes more important to others than it is to yourself, there's a problem. This was a big deal for the college, 1,800 students in Hartford, Connecticut. This is a big deal. It feels good. It feels good for alums to be able to walk into board meetings and grind people. And that got that gained momentum. And, and the communication wheel appropriately started spinning out. Look what's happening here. But it doesn't matter. And then that feels like the pressure is building. Oh, you as a coach and you as a leader now carry the burden of that pressure to win and the pressure to continue to win. And you're holding these emotions and all of these years of, of pent up want to be in that moment to sustain it. I've spoken to the Patriots a few times and uh, I know Bill very well. That man is the smartest man in the room. I can tell you that. What's his style? Is his the same like from that? Because I wouldn't necessarily correlate his perceived style with the word empathy. No, no. But he's in a transactional industry. He's in a business. I mean, the men respect the hell out of him. They fear him. In retrospect, maybe they adore him, but not at the moment. He doesn't get enough respect for his brilliance. Watching them practice was like watching the ballet. So So I went up, Bill called me, you know, this is the way my life has been, you know, the phone rings, it's coach. Yeah, it's Bill Belichick. Of course it's Bill Belichick, right? I'm Paul Asiente. (laughs) He says, would you come up and talk to the team? Oh, okay. Uh, What do you want me to talk about? Well, they had four games left on the schedule and they were favored in all four. And he wanted to avoid the trap game. So he said, you guys are usually favored when you go into matches. How do you deal with that? So I went up and I talked to the team for 90 minutes, which was amazing. There's nothing cooler than being in a huge stadium when it's empty. you know. And then I, I watched him practice. And uh, it's all done on a clock. Everybody knows where they're going and what they're doing. You know, it's boom, six minutes, they're practicing punting into the wind. And boom, six minutes, they're practicing punting with the wind to the back. And then boom, 15 minutes, and they go down to the red zone. And Metallica is playing at deafening levels, and they're practicing red zone offense. And, you know, it, it was just super cool. And I was walking with him, and it was he was moving really fast. They said, Coach, is this a race? What are we? <laughs> and he said, no. You see that guy over there? Do you see that guy over there? Do you see that guy over there? Those are the press. And he doesn't want to be anywhere near the press. <laughs> so he was avoiding. <laughs> he was getting a workout. <laughs> he is brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, hands down. So you're now put yourself in the mind of a business owner and you fulfill the momentum at your back. And you know that your company is moving in the right direction. You've got wins and you've got momentum and you're attracting top talent and you're kind of building. So you're in this building block mode before your big win. 
what is the biggest piece of advice you'd have for the leader in that room to be watching out for ahead of them and then also at the current state of that business? It's about what you're doing today. That momentum feels good. It's like being on the front of a wave. It, you know it's happening, but you got to get down on your hands and knees and put down the plank of the railroad ties one plank at a time. And you get to where you're going when you take care of the business. You know, it's funny. There's a saying called the devil is in the details. I don't know what that saying really means because I would say the angel is in the details. Take care of the stuff day in and day out. Everybody does it together. And then good things happen. Consistency equals success. And we call it the awesome power of now here. What I tell the guys is in every moment, be fully engaged. When you wake up and you go to class, make it the best class you've ever gone to. Don't rely on the professor to do that. Engage and get as much information out of that class as you can. When you come to practice, make it the best practice you've ever made it. If you don't, I'm throwing you out. When you go out to dinner with your girlfriend tonight or your boyfriend tonight, make it the greatest culinary experience of your life. You can do that. When you go to bed and you put your head on the pillow, you tell St. Peter, that was a hell of a day. If you can get one person to do that, that day for them is going to be magic. If you can get a whole team to do that, you can create a swirl of energy that won't be beaten. That's what leaders need to do. Get the most out of each person every day, even though each person is not their best version of themselves every day. It's incredible advice. We can all learn something from you. That's <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us on our podcast. My honor. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you very much. <laughs>